Oftentimes, we look at the children of Israel and we see ourselves. We see our own experience and what we're going through. As they're traveling through the wilderness, we find that they get to a place where they're complaining and they're craving. And when things are hard and when things are are difficult, it's easy to move into this place of uh, complaining. But the Lord has something better for us. He has for us a, a place of, of thanksgiving, even in the wilderness. So let's pick it up in verse 1 of, of chapter 11. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and, and the Lord was, was angry. We oftentimes don't think of God being angry. Oftentimes when we are angry, we sin, so it's hard for us to imagine that there's an anger that's, that's holy. But God in his righteous anger is frustrated with the children of Israel because of their sin of complaining. And the reason that God is, is angry is because he knows the damage that complaining is going to do to his children. Sometimes as parents, we we find ourselves having this righteous anger because we know the damage that this is going to bring in our child's life. We oftentimes don't think of complaining as being that big of an issue. Well, maybe I'm not hurting anyone else and I'm not sinning against God, but the truth is is that, that God hears. God heard their complaining and God hears our complaining and our complaining is displeasing to the Lord. In Romans chapter 1, we see this downward spiral of the soul. How how does a soul get darker and darker and darker and darker? And we find that they knew God, but didn't glorify him as God, nor were thankful. That unthankful heart actually led them to a darker and darker place. I think, unfortunately, we've all experienced this. When we're in a place of being unthankful and complaining, our soul gets dark. And if we stay there long enough for for weeks and months and and years, we get surprised at how hard our heart can be. God says this is the will of God for us, that we would give thanks in Christ Jesus. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Now, your heart, your mind may be saying, well, I don't have a lot to be thankful for. I'm in the wilderness, and so were the children of Israel. They're in a difficult time. It's hot, it's hard, they're getting manna from heaven, and God is providing in a miraculous way, but there's no doubt that, it, that it's difficult. And when we're in the wilderness, we're really tested. Am I going to, to move to this place of complaining, or am I going to be in a place of thanksgiving? But the word of God and the spirit of God confronts our complaining spirit. It checks our, our complaining spirit to say, say, Eric, this is not God's will for you. A loving father says, I've got something better for you to, to choose to be thanksgiving, to choose to offer to God that sacrifice of praise. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them in the outskirts of the camp. God sends quite a message and actually sends down fire from heaven to those that are complaining and they start to die from this fire that God sends. God is making a clear message that complaining will burn you out. (laughs) If you're taking notes tonight, 
let's examine this question is what leads to burnout? What leads to burnout? Well, number one, it's complaining. It's going to cause my soul to burn out. In life, I'm going to burn out. I'm going to run out of gas if I'm in a place of complaining. God's got a sense of humor, no joke. I'm teaching this message on burnout, running out of gas, and about 5.30, I ran out of gas today. <laughs> I've gone years without running out of gas, but today I did it. I ran, ran out of gas, right? Had to call Amber and say, well, I did something stupid. I ran out of gas. Do you mind getting the gas can and meeting me over in this area of town? And she's my savior. She rescued me, right? And I was watching in the minivan that I was pushing it all day long. I saw the gas light there, and then honestly, I got distracted. Then I had things going and conversation on the phone, and all this was happening, and I'm on the phone, and I'm like, I think I ran out of gas, you know? So if we run out of gas in life and we burn out in life, it's going to be through complaining. In the long haul, nothing's going to deplete you more than complaining, do you ever just feel like your soul's refreshed and recharged after complaining? I mean, there's that vomiting effect that happens and the person that listened, they, they feel puked on. In the moment, we feel a little bit better, but it doesn't really provide refreshment. It doesn't provide revival. It doesn't provide renewal. So God's letting us know here. He's given us a visual picture that, that complaining's gonna learn, lead to burnout in our lives. The people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So they cry out to Moses, ask Moses for, for prayer, and God in his grace and goodness causes the fire to stop. So they called the name of the place Tabria because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Tabria literally means burning. So they remember this place as the place of burning, the place that God dealt with our complaining. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense cravings. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? What leads to burnout? Listening to the wrong voices. Complaining, but also listening to the wrong voices. There's a mixed multitude in the children of Israel when they came out of bondage from Egypt, some Egyptians came with them. And now these Egyptians are having influence on them. They're giving in to intense cravings. And the children of Israel start to listen to those voices and go, yeah, who will give us meat to eat? I'm tired of this manna that God has provided every day. Oh, manna, here we go again. Just... The same thing, the same food over and over and over again. Isn't food powerful? Have you ever been in a place where you had to eat the same thing day after day and it can, can wear on you? When I was in school ministry through my church that I grew up in, we would have oatmeal every morning for breakfast and beans and rice for lunch. And then there was some variety in dinner. I did not touch oatmeal for probably 10 years after graduating that school. And it wasn't good oatmeal, you know? It was like just, just slop oatmeal and like, here you go. We had a dorm daddy that was over the, the house and he'd put it out and, and the beans and rice were, were not like Chipotle beans and rice. You know, it was like 
just per, pretty nasty rice and some kidney beans and day after day for, for a year. And it was easy to start complaining uh, about that. If for some reason you have some dietary restrictions, you can, you can start to resent that and go, man, I'm just tired of, of eating these things. And the, the children of Israel are starting to crave this meat that they haven't had in such a long time. And what are the voices that come into to your life? We want the voice of God to be louder than the voice of this world. The voice of the world's always gonna say, you don't have enough. Relationally, you don't have enough. Financially, you don't have enough. With your possessions, you don't have enough. And it's this constant longing for more and never being satisfied. The only way the voice of God is gonna be louder than the voice of the world is through the word of God. For the word of God to be alive in our lives where we're reading it and we're studying it, reading through books of the Bible, starting our day with the word, ending our day with the word. But if we're just kind of going with the status quo, the voices of the world are gonna overwhelm us and we're gonna start to long for the things that the world longs for. Third thing that leads to burnout is craving for what God has not provided. God had not given them this to them. God had given them manna, but they want meat. Paul wrestled with contentment. In Philippians chapter four, he said this one thing that he learned to be content. Contentment doesn't come naturally. Just observe a toddler for a season of time. Like who, who teaches a toddler to be discontent? It's in our sin nature to be in this place of, of discontentment. But Paul goes on to write and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That he's learned whether he's abound or abased to be content. If God is in control in our lives, then he is allowing for us to be in the wilderness. He's allowing us to have manna instead of meat. And so to start to see his purpose in this. Okay, Lord, I don't really like this. I don't really agree with this. I don't understand it. It's uncomfortable. But this is where you have me. So I'm going to learn contentment. Okay, I'm abounding. I've learned how to abound in thanksgiving. I'm abased. I'm learning how to, to be abased. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you have a contented soul this evening, that is, is great gain. Hebrews chapter 13 says that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you, so let your conduct, your lifestyle, be without covetousness. The answer to our craving, lusting, longing soul is Jesus. What we're really looking for is Jesus. What the children of Israel needed was a deeper understanding and revelation of God, not meat. <laughs> the meat wasn't gonna satisfy their soul. And burnout will be a result of craving for things that God has not provided. Are you longing for something that God has not provided? Are you, you single and you're longing to be, to be married, but God hasn't provided that at this season of your life? Are you married and you're longing to be single and God hasn't provided that at this point of your life? So this is where God has me, not where God has somebody else. And so Lord, I'm gonna 
choose to be content. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up, and there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. They're, they're despising the provision of the Lord. What leads to burned out number four is remembering the past inaccurately. They're looking back in Egypt and going, oh, it was so good. There were, there were cucumbers, there were melons and leeks and onions and, and garlic, but now all we have is onions. In reality, they were slaves having to make their own bricks. Memory can be a mirage. We can look back on things in the past and not remember them accurately. In fact, they were very difficult. They were, it was bondage. But we look back and we go, oh, that, that was such a great time. I wish I was back here in Egypt. If we're not careful, sometimes we can even look back before we knew the Lord and walk with the Lord and go, oh, that was so fun. Oh, back there in Egypt with the leeks and, and the onions, and we're not remembering it accurately, it was actually bondage. Lot's wife, God rescues Lot and his wife out of Sodom and Gomorrah before he pours out judgment. And they're warned to not look back, and Lot's wife, she looks back. As she's looking back, she's looking at Sodom longingly. And God turns her to a pillar of salt. And what takes place in our lives is, as we look back, if our focus is remembering the past inaccurately, it's going to dissolve us to salt. It is going to burn us out. Complaining is going to burn us out, but also remembering the past inaccurately will burn us out. Paul chose to forget the things that was behind him and press forward to the things that are ahead. Do you know that God's a God of the present and the future, not a God of the past? He was faithful in the past, but he lives in the present and the future, and we're to, to press forward in the future. We're to have a forward gaze. The children of Israel needed to be focusing on the promised land that was in front of them, not looking back to Egypt and fantasizing about how good it, it used to be. In verse 7, now the manna was like colander seed, and its color was like the color of delium. The people went about and gathered it, ground it on the millstones of bread in the mortar, cooked it in pans, and made cakes of it, and its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. That sounds pretty good. And the dew fell on the camp in the night, and the manna fell on it. Manna literally means in the Hebrew, what is it? So as they saw manna for the first time, they're like, what is this? What is this that God has provided? We still don't know exactly what manna was like. This is the best description that we have of manna. But it was daily bread from God, daily provision from God, and they would go out every day and they would gather it. In verse 10, then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. The whole multitude of Israel is at a place where they're discontent and complaining about the manna, and they're weeping over it. They're just broken over it. They're, they're tired over it. Remember, this is a large multitude, 600 
thousand soldiers. You add to that women and children, you have well over a million people. Imagine a million people weeping, going, man, I'm just so sick of the food. Beans and rice again, right? And now Moses is starting to get frustrated. And we, once again, we see the Lord's anger is aroused. Moses expresses his heart to the Lord. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you have laid the burden of all of these people on me. Why did I get this privilege of leading this group? Did I conceive any of these people? Are they my kids? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where I am to get meat to give to all these people. Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all of these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please tell me here and now if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. What I appreciate about this is Moses is honest with God. Moses is saying, oh, I've had it. These people are too much of a burden for me. And he actually asks of the Lord, if it's all right if the Lord would take his life. Oftentimes when we look at people in the scripture, we don't think that they had struggles. But the children of Israel are struggling, Moses is struggling, but notice Moses didn't contemplate taking his own life. He knew that his life belonged to the Lord, and he requests of the Lord, Lord, would you kill me? But he's not going to take his own life. Your life belongs to the Lord. We don't get to take our life. It's in, in his, his hands. I would encourage you tonight, if you're in a place where you're like, I, I've just had it, go to the Lord with it. Do it lovingly and in respect, but Moses is called the friend of God, and he's able to share where he's really at. And that's what I love about the Psalms. The Psalms are raw, they're open, they're honest, and that's where God wants us to be with him, is, is bring it before the Lord. Are, are you burdened? Are you disappointed? Are you discouraged? Bring it before the Lord. Moses, Moses did so. In verse 16, so the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle meeting that you may stand, that, that they may stand there with you. What leads to burnout, number five, is trying to do too much. Trying to do too much. The children of Israel literally get burned out for complaining and craving. Moses is feeling burned out, like I can't continue to lead all of these, these people who are whining, whining and complaining. And God graciously gives Moses an answer saying, you need 70 more leaders. You've got leaders right here amongst the, the children of Israel and you need to give leadership to these 70 so you're not bearing the burden. I think part of the American way is this individualism and independence that I can do more. <laughs> I'll just put more on my shoulders and I'll take, take care of this. But we're also a very burned out culture, aren't we? We're coming undone at, at the seams. It's, it's not sustainable. 
Are we carrying things that God never intended for us to carry? Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I'm meek and and lowly and you'll find rest to your souls. There's a, a yoke with Jesus where we get to be linked up with Jesus, where he bears the weight and we walk alongside of him and that's that place of rest. But maybe you're like me and it's easy to take on a yoke that Jesus didn't intend for me. A yoke of my own expectations, a yoke of other people's expectations that they want to place. You know if this is speaking to you tonight. If you came in and you're like, man, I'm out of gas. <laughs> I'm, I'm burned out. And the Lord's saying, well, why are you doing all this stuff? I didn't ask for you to do all this stuff. Give this to someone else. Let somebody else do it. Why do we have a, a hard time letting things go? Is it because of pride? We, we want people to see us as being a, accomplished? Do we look down on others? Nobody can do it quite as well as, as I can do it. And the Lord's waiting for us to disperse responsibility and focus on what he's asked us to do. Then I will come down and talk with you there and I will take the spirit that's upon you and will put the same upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. Then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we ever come up out of Egypt? This is an interesting section of scripture. God's like, you want meat? I'll give you meat. I'm not gonna give you meat for just one day. I'm gonna give you meat for a whole entire month. And quail comes, God sends quail, and you're gonna have so much meat, it's just gonna come out of your nostrils. And this is a little bit humbling and scary because if we could go before the Lord and say, I gotta have this, I gotta have this. And the Lord's like, no, you don't need that. I got manna for you. You, you really don't need meat. No, no, you don't understand. I need meat, right? And we're going to the Lord. I gotta have this. For me to be satisfied, I, I gotta have this. Eventually, God's gonna say, okay, you can have it. In Psalms 106, this is what it says. It says, they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They got what they wanted. They got meat, but in, in replace of that, in exchange for that, they got a lean soul. They got an empty soul. That's not what I want. I don't think that's what you want. And so for us to to wisely submit ourselves to the will of God, what Jesus taught us to pray, not my will, but your will be done. In verse 21, and Moses said, the people who I am among are six 
100,000 men on foot, yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? So, so Moses is saying, like, there's no Chick-fil-A out here. How, how am I going to feed all these guys? There's no, no Costco, no Sam's Club. What are we going to do? Just, just empty out all, all of the fish? And the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you have seen whether what I say will happen to you or not. God's saying, this is no problem for me. I can provide meat. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, the cloud representing his presence, and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. So unity and like-mindedness comes from the presence of the Lord. God's presence comes, and God takes the spirit that was on Moses and puts it upon these 70 men, and they're like-minded in their leadership together. And this is where spiritual leadership really comes together. As we are united in the Lord's presence, united in his word. Verse 26, but two men had remained in the camp. The name of the one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. <laughs> I guess they liked their dad. So they're like, we're not going to name first one Eldad and the second Medad. And so these two elders remained in the camp, but yet the spirit rested upon them. Now there were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. So they hadn't gone to the tabernacle, but yet they still prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp, like, like they've done something wrong. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Stop them from prophesying. Then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Moses is saying, this is a good thing. Don't be envious. Don't, don't forbid them from doing this. It would be great if everyone prophesied like these two men are, are prophesying. Sometimes we can get jealous over the fact that God is using someone else or can start to feel territorial. Moses, he could have started to feel territorial. What are these guys doing prophesying? What are, what are these 68 doing prophesying? What are these two doing prophesying in the camp? But instead, he's rejoicing in the work of the Lord. There's a cool thing happening on Academy Boulevard. You're like, what is that? What, what, what cool thing is, could there be a cool thing happening on Academy Boulevard? And God is planting new churches. Just down the road is, is Fervent Church on North Academy or North Carefree and Academy, and God's really blessing it and using it. New Life is putting in uh, a campus right here on Academy, on Austin Bluffs and Academy, New Life Midtown. They just started, merged with Antioch Church, and they have a campus right here in, in this area of town. Awesome. And then just up the road on Academy, on Dublin and Academy, 
uh, Peak City Church has been able to open up a new facility, and they're having their first weekend services on the 18th. So that's something that I'm so excited about and been praying about for a long time, that God would work in this area of the city. And we're already seeing spiritual movement in this area of the city, but for us as Rocky Mountain Calvary, I'm thankful for that. That is, that is wonderful to see that God is planting new churches in this area of town. Austin Bluffs and Academy is now very central to the city and very densely populated and is not completely reached for the gospel. There's so much room for kingdom work to take place. And so we get to rejoice in the work that the Lord is doing. And may we never feel threatened or may we never feel, feel jealous that these new churches are being birthed and, and God is blessing them. And Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. In verse 31, Now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side. And all around the camp and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. And the people stayed up all that day, all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered 10 homers. So the very least that was gathered was 10 homers. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. They didn't even bother to go cook it. They're just like, oh, yeah, finally meat, you know. No longer manna, but we, we've got some meat, and it's just there in their teeth, and, and God's angry. The third time that we see his anger is aroused and God puts a plague upon them. So he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatavah because there they buried the people who yielded to craving. From Kibroth Hatavah, the people moved to Hazroth and camped at Hazroth. Lust is never satisfied. God gives us pictures in the Old Testament of New Testament principles. So we get a very vivid picture here of what lust does in our life. Kibroth, if you'll notice, literally means graves of craving. Graves of craving. Lust is always going to lead to a grave. When we give in to, to lust, it's never satisfied. I'm longing for this. I'm longing for this. God hasn't provided it, but I'm longing for this. Then somehow we obtain it, and we're longing for a little bit more, and before you know it, it's brought about great death in our lives. If we're not content where we are now, we're not going to be content later on. Oftentimes we go, man, if my circumstance changed, I'd be content. Nope. We've got to choose contentment right now. I was planning to go through chapter 12 this evening, but I feel led to just stop. Stop here with chapter 11 and let the Holy Spirit speak this to our hearts. It's time to be thankful. Church, it's time to be thankful. This is the word of God for us. This is the word of God for me. And am I feeling burned out? And could it be possibly because there's a lack of thanksgiving in my life and there's an abundance of complaining in my life. 
I'll admit sometimes when we come week after week, Wednesday night after Wednesday night, we don't really anticipate for God to meet us, encourage us, challenge us, and change our lives. But God is here, and through his word, he wants to challenge us, and he wants to change us, and to take this out of our lives where we're constantly on this treadmill of complaining, and we begin to walk in thanksgiving. I know I need to hear this tonight. I know God's challenging my heart from being in a place of complaining to a place of of thanksgiving. How do we do this? I want to share one last scripture with us out of Hebrews chapter 12. You can turn there with me if you want. Hebrews 12 verse 3 I think shows us the how. And the how is actually a who. It's Jesus. This is Hebrews 12 verse 3. It says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Sounds like complaining, doesn't it? Discouraged and weary in our souls. The answer to this is to think about all that Jesus went through on the cross. His source of suffering becomes our well of thanksgiving. Unfortunately, society moves on so fast. We don't grieve some of the wickedness that is taking place in our land. But weeks ago, a young man decided to get up and go into a grocery store and try to murder as many people as he possibly could that he didn't know. right here in our own state. And Jesus took his sin upon himself. That young man that went and killed 10 people, Jesus died for his sin. The Bible tells us that all have an opportunity to repent and believe and be saved. Jesus knew no sin. He never sinned. But yet, he was accosted by taking that young man's sin upon himself. And that's just one young man's sin. Every rapist, Jesus took it upon himself. Every vile thing that's in my heart and in your heart, Jesus took it upon himself. And the physical suffering and and the spiritual suffering, we've really just scratched the surface of the sufferings of Christ. And what's emphasized here is he endured such hostility from sinners against himself. He took on sin and was punished by by the Father. See, if my focus isn't upon Jesus and upon his suffering, I'm going to start to think that somehow I've gotten a bad deal from God. (laughs) Somehow the wilderness is so difficult. Somehow my circumstances is so hard. But when I put my focus on what Jesus has done for me, then that becomes the source of my thanksgiving. So let's turn our attention towards Christ tonight. As we take communion, let's stop and remember what he's done for us. Remember his broken body and his shed blood and then allow that to move us into a place of of thanksgiving. 
And as we go home tonight, let's choose Thanksgiving because complaining is going to knock at the door. And as we wake up tomorrow morning, let's choose Thanksgiving. <laughs> and as we go through those hard things in life, say, say Lord, I'm, I'm going to choose to be thankful. I don't want to go down this road of complaining. I want to go through this life with a spirit of thanksgiving. So Father, we humble ourselves before you and put our attention upon you, Jesus, upon your broken body and your shed blood. You endured such hostility against yourself. May you meet us in a fresh way during communion and encourage our souls. Set us free from complaining and bring us into that place of thanksgiving. So we love you in Jesus' name.